0: Welcome to another episode of Behind the Catch Fence. I'm your host, David Hoffman. It's episode 44, and man oh man, hasn't been a while. You're probably wondering why I'm not in the man cave. Well, I got married a couple months ago, so I'm in an apartment now. Obviously, with limited space, it's hard to bring a whole basement worth of die-cast cars, sheet metal, and pretty much everything in between here. So for now, I've got this little case over here. It's got a little bit of the more important stuff. Anyway, as I'm sure you know by now, episode 44, The Fire Within, features special guest Ron Caps. Caps is a three-time NHRA Funny Car Champion, including last year when he won the title in his first year being a team owner with Ron Caps Motorsports. In this episode, Ron and I discuss his background in the drag racing, the trials of coming up short four times, and of course, the triumph of finally breaking through. And yes, we talk SRX racing too, since he'll be competing at Eldora Speedway here shortly. So sit back, relax, grab your favorite snack, maybe some chocolate covered popcorn, that sounds good, or simply just popcorn, whatever your preference is, and enjoy episode 44, The Fire Within, with Ron Caps. I want to kind of go through your career and just um, just the highs and lows of everything. So I guess kind of starting off, just what's your earliest memory of racing and how you got hooked on drag racing? Man,
1: um, I've joked about it, but it's probably pretty true. I was probably conceived at a drag strip. So I was, as long as I can remember, we were gone uh, to, my first memories really were of, the Bakersfield, what's considered the March meet now, was back then the fuel and gas championships. And it was, you know, every hitter was there. Don Garlis would come out from Florida. Uh, Snake and Mongoose and Rain for Rent, Warren Coburn. I mean, uh, everybody, Raymond Beetle, every car that was anybody was at those races. So that was my earliest childhood. A lot of cool pictures I have still as a kid uh, at those races. Then my dad would take us to or take me. My brother wasn't born to lions drag strip. I was at the last race there. And then we would go to Fremont up North. We grew up in central California. So Bakersfield, a couple hours, three hours up to Fremont and then Sonoma, which they built Sears point soon thereafter. And then Pomona once in a while we'd go down. Um, But we never ventured out really past that. And then we had a small track where I lived, Santa Maria, California. And that's where my dad, he was kind of like the local guy there that had a fast car. And that was my childhood. So every weekend pretty much was spent there. And then as we grew older, I got into go-karts a little bit and they had a, a dirt track in Santa Maria. So we'd go to the dirt track races, watch modifieds and sprint cars and things like that. So I was always around stuff. And then our garage with my dad being kind of the local guy, guys would bring their cars over. Our garage always had somebody's race car in it, if not my dad's. And uh, always somebody over there, he was teaching how to make, their cars faster or building somebody else's car or engines in our garage. So that, that was my childhood.
0: And with that, I know you mentioned you went out to, you know, handful of, you know, dirt track stuff, just why drag racing and not, um, you know, like the dirt background or like, you know, or like a stock car route or that kind of thing. What kind of drew you into do drag racing?
1: Um, All of the sitting around listening to my dad and his buddies that all the stories were like an American graffiti movie. It was all, you know, going out on some private road where they marked off a quarter mile and running for pink slips and all that stuff that you saw in those movies. That was what I heard from all my dad and his buddies. And that's what they did back then. Um, So as I grew older, you know, every we would go to, like I said, he would help guys build engines for their dirt cars and things like that. So we would, he was a crew chief and an engine builder for a couple sprint cars. We would go with guys and I i would go as a kid. So I had a pretty cool childhood where I got to go bounce around different types of racing, but it was always the drag racing it was, you know, street racing, like the American Graffiti stuff was what they did back on, on a road with nobody was on outside of town. So those are those stories. And then my dad, every, everything he did was around drag racing. So he was always going drag racing, building the cars for drag racers. When they closed the track, when I was uh, maybe late elementary school there, then we didn't have the local track, but we'd still go to other tracks. Um, But at and, and one time he worked on a guy's Can-Am car. So I, would, I, I was always around something racing, Um, pretty eclectic, which was cool for me because I grew up a dirt fan as well. And then later on, after becoming a professional and driving for Dom Perdome, um, You know, then I got the opportunity, Tony Stewart, uh, to go do some dirt racing with him and some of Clint Boyer and those guys and then getting invited to the prelude to the dream dirt race all those years was a huge, huge deal, especially for a drag racer. So that was cool as a fan, as a kid growing up, going to dirt races to go do it. But it's always been drag racing at heart. uh, Always.
0: Then nineteen ninety-five, you got your first uh kind of dip into NHRA action uh for Roger Prim and Top Fuel. Just you won in Seattle uh, on a part-time basis. Just at that point in your career, what did you feel was the uh what your potential could be in NHRA?
1: Well, it was even going back before that. I worked on them with my dad. We uh a guy named Jim Rosoli bought one of Blaine Johnson and Alan Johnson's old dragsters, and my dad was he brought my dad in to help him get started in that. My dad had an altar that he sold to Jim Zoli, and it, it kind of escalated. Jim bought a dragster. So we all worked on that. So I was a crew guy wanting to drive, but didn't have the budget or the money or, you know, sponsors or wealthy parents or anything. So I had to wait for that opportunity for somebody to just give me a chance to get my license in something. And that was John Mitchell uh, with the Montana Express. So he's the one who gave me a, chance I got my license in his outfall dragster and while I was driving that Roger Prim saw me and he was looking for an opportunity to look for a sponsor in his top fuel car and he had a big list of way better drivers way more well-known drivers than me and I ended up getting the pick to drive that car and for them to look for a sponsor so that's how that happened and then of course our rookie year we travel way out we east I've never been past Arizona and we ventured out to the Atlanta race, which happened to be on ABC, and uh, that, my rookie year, we went to the final round, beat, I mean, Connie Coletta, Mike Dunn, and Bernstein, a bunch of people, got in the final round against the McDonald's car and lost, but made network TV, it was Wide World of Sports, and that was my rookie year, and then fast forward later in the year at the Seattle race, same thing, I raced a bunch of legends, had Corey Mack in the McDonald's car in the final, and we won my rookie year of Seattle, so that's kind of how it built up to that, but it wasn't, uh, we never really got a big sponsor in that car. And then he just uh, was going to park it. And I, I ended up getting a phone call from Don, the snake per which was crazy. And he said he was building a funny car team and he already had Larry Dixon's Miller light team. And he wanted to know if I would drive a funny car. So he had just been watching me in the top fuel car. So it was right place, right time. Somebody, you know, just happened to, Keep an eye on me, and it was Don the Snake Pradome of all people. So yeah, it was it was funny how that all sort of just happened.
0: When he called you, like did you ever have like previous conversations with him, or was this kind of like a cold call of hey, I've I've seen your race and you know, I want you to come drive this funny car?
1: I hung up on him. Really? <laughs> yeah, I thought it was somebody playing a joke on me because everybody everybody talks and mimics Don Perdome the way he talks. Everybody's got their hey man. Let me tell you something. Everybody's got that way. When you meet Snake, he's the coolest in the world, but everybody has this thing. We always joke about it. We used to always, and my, and I got to be friends a little bit with Larry Dixon who was driving for him and he used to work for him on his car. So I knew Larry a little bit. Larry drove that Montana express car before I got my chance to get my license in it, ironically. So when Larry left that car, went back to snakes, and became snakes driver. When he retired, we stayed in touch a little bit and I, Larry came over at a couple races that I was at. He said, hey, man, we were at dinner last night with a bunch of sponsors. And uh, Snake brought your name up out of the blue. And I was like, what? So that happened a couple of times. He said that hey, your name came up again. Snake's mentioned to somebody. So I was like, no way. So when he did call, I thought it was somebody playing a joke on me. And I hung up and then I called back or his wife called back. Uh, Lynn, <laughs> and she said, I think, yeah you lost connection. Um, if you're available, I'll pass you through to snake. And (laughs) I realized that uh, I'd hung up on him. So that's kind of how that started. Yeah.
0: Uh, just going from like the top fuel car to a funny car, how much of a difference is that?
1: Night and day. It's, uh, it's like going on a trail ride on one of those donkeys, you know, or uh, just a horse that goes on trail rides and then getting on a bull. they are completely different animals, uh, not even close other than the power and the g-forces and what you feel but uh, other than that they are just crazy and uh first time I sat in one we fired it up it was a Copenhagen car for Don Perdomes, and I was getting my license and uh we fired it up and I was like man shut this thing off I mean now I've had the engine behind me the dragster now it's right in front of you it's a whole different animal so yeah it was very very it was a gut check that very first time. They dropped the body down on me. I was like, Whoa, this is a little harder than it looks sitting in the grandstand. So, but uh man, after the first hit I made, I was like, Oh, this is it. This is home right here.
0: And having uh Don as a team owner for you know a handful of years that you were with him, just what kind of sticks out to you to this day and what have you learned from him during that at least that time frame that you know that still kind of sticks with you?
1: All kinds of stuff. I do things all the time. My wife will crack up she's like you just did a snakeism or whatever she calls it and uh, learned a lot you know obviously on the track stuff is you can't replace learning from a hero and somebody you built their models and played with their hot wheels as a kid that's but it's off the track stuff that I learned you know certain things to wear at certain events how to pack luggage um, for going to a race going to a sponsor event what to do here what to do there what belt to wear with shoes, things I'd never even thought of that I learned from him. Um, And of course, being around sponsors, you know, that type of thing It was an era when I came in, it was Al Hoffman and John Force and guys like that, funny car. Um, And then Kenny Bernstein obviously was in dragster at the time. So watching Kenny Bernstein with Budweiser, watching Snake with what he did with Miller Light and those companies, and they were friends. Um, Those are two people. uh, you can't, you know, it was amazing to watch how they worked with their sponsors and little small things that are the difference makers with sponsors uh, that I learned from watching those both those guys. So uh, a lot of things off the track, probably more so off the track than I learned on the track.
0: And, uh, you know, going to Don Schumacher racing in 05, just what made that team such a powerhouse in the NHRA for so many years, uh, just from your perspective, because you're with them for so long.
1: Yeah, uh, going to Dons was uh quite a bit different. A business guy, had a big company he ran, uh multi-car team, which I'd been at Snakes, we were a multi-car team. Uh but then I went to Dons and it was like seven teams, you know. That was quite a bit different. Um Gary Selzy, an old friend of mine kind of brought me over there. And we were teammates and we raced against each other but um a lot different. A lot more business and uh Ed McCulloch, the ace with been my crew chief at Snakes, he was a legend, right? And he came over. He was my first crew chief there on the brute car at Don Schumacher. So being around another legend like that, um, you know, we just sort of hit the ground running. Um, he, you know, he could trust what I did in the car. And I certainly trusted his old school mentality. It's like being around an AJ Foyt, you know, type of guy where you don't you don't you don't ask how I did. Like if they don't say anything, you did good. If you get a pat on the butt, you did really good. If, uh, if they don't say anything, you did you did pretty good. So um, quite a bit different, you know, and then a transition from the Brute Car. And then Napa came on board there. And, you know, gosh, I was at Don's for 17 years maybe, something like that. Yeah, a long time. No. Well, I went there in 05 and uh, up until 2021 was there. So quite a while.
0: This is crazy, I think, that you can be with a team that long, just um, kind of going through your years with them uh your fourth in the four times you ended up going second in the points before finally getting that first championship in 2016 just I, I mean having finished runner up that many times before that just how validating was that for you just to finally break through
1: oh man you know those moments over some not so good memories when it comes down to the wire and what's funny is winning the championship last year in uh, 2022, the roles were reversed. I was the one that, that that won it in the last run of the day of the last race of the whole season um, against Heights team who had won more races. We had a great year. First-time owner, we won five races. I think they won seven. Didn't have a first-round one. They had an unbelievable year. But I was I was on the other end of that those moments that I had four times where it was, you know, gut punch very last day. Um, so those, those moments surely made me better and surely made me well prepared for those moments on waking up on Sunday. Cause there's, there's nothing like waking up, you know, there at the track in Pomona, it's a home track. I've got a motor home there. I got family, friends. Um, there's nothing like waking up that Sunday morning knowing that at the end of the day year one of one or two or maybe sometimes three drivers that could be crowned world champions and just to have that chance on that last day is pretty cool at the at a historic racetrack so uh those moments that you talked about the four times not winning definitely made me better prepared for those for last year and the moments that we won the championship
0: and obviously you've now we got three titles um, here recently. Just if you could give that pre-championship Ron caps any type of advice, uh, you know, now that you're over that hump per se, what would you uh, tell him?
1: Kind of what I was telling the media before, just it, it's going to, if it's going to come, it's going to come. Like, I, I mean, you that's 2016, that's the first one. And I never, when I started working on these things and grew up as a kid, I never thought I'd have one Wally, let alone one of those. But winning all those races, driving for legends, I I knew with the sponsors, and we had the stuff to do it, and we were always there. We were always the talk of a championship. It was always going to be in the mix, that it was eventually going to come. Uh, just like Indy, the U.S. Nationals, I went, got 28 years or whatever it was until finally winning it last year. It's the same thing. If I could go back and tell myself, I just, I made a lot of, there's forks in the road, a lot of the wrong choices in my life, you know, that everybody makes and you learn from and you keep going and decisions you hope are the right ones. And in a funny car, you make decisions run to run with a lot of repercussions. You either made the right choice, you don't have time to think about it, and you could either get hurt or somebody else or blow the car up or whatever. But, you know, there's a lot of times you feel uh, you got you to gotta weigh yourself, like, did I make the right choice? So I would just tell myself, keep doing what we were doing, which was what we ended up doing. You know, and just believed in it like it's going to come. I'm around so many good people that eventually it's going to happen. And it's just funny. I went from not winning and the media, you know, calling me Dan Marino and making, you know, little little comparisons to other athletes that hadn't quite won a championship. but had great, great lives and careers in whatever sport to having three, <laughs> like boom, boom, boom. So uh, that's probably what I tell my younger self.
0: After winning that second title in 2021, then uh, you decide to go off on your own and do create your own team per se, or not per se, you know, uh, create your own team. Just how hard was that to, you know, talk to Don Schumacher and tell, tell him about your plans and just uh, take a new life journey uh, when there's so many unknowns? Um. Yeah, it was
1: tough, but you know, I've been, I've had the chances, and people said you need to try to do that, and I've always wanted to go off as an owner, but I'm, I'm glad now that I didn't go when I thought I was going to be all right, because in the middle of it right now, going through one year under our belts, and realizing how much really there is going on, um, I'm glad I didn't before. It, the, it's been perfect the way it worked out. Uh, telling Don, I want to tell him first and immediately know uh, obviously just my wife and I knew when we decided to do it, and that was through really COVID, like a lot of people's lives have changed since then. That's when I said, that's, I have to make the move now, no matter what happens. And I've got to hope somebody goes with me. Didn't know for sure who would, um, but to have uh, Napa decide that they not only want to be small in the car, and whatever we did, but they wanted to continue on was huge. And then Toyota jumping on board was huge. And then all these other partners just wanting to be a part of it. And so I'm glad it all worked out. And certainly when I told Don in September of that year that that's what I wanted to do, he was fully supportive. Um, You know, then for Guido, Dean uh, Antonelli and my team to right away say that they want to be a part of what I was doing, not knowing if I'd even survive. Um, That was another moment, you know, that I look back on. It was just immense. So. But I didn't expect us to go on and win the championship three months later. I mean, that was the coolest thing ever to know that I was going to become an owner, have the number one on the car, go through the next year as first time owner as defending world champions. Um, That stuff you couldn't even imagine could happen. But then, like you said, the first year ownership, go through there and end up winning a championship, our first year's ownership and first time back to back in over 20 years. Somebody did it. John Forrest, of course. But um, yeah, all that was just, and then when Indy, <laughs> like, it all just kind of just bam, bam, bam. So yeah, it's, it's been pretty crazy a couple of years.
0: Yeah. Like you alluded to it, just how would you describe that year? I mean, obviously, you know, you win the U S nationals, which is so historic and then basically bring on, you know, Toyota, have a whole new team just to have it all work out. Just how would you describe last year and just how everything kind of is pieced together in the perfect way? Yeah, I've been dreaming
1: about this for a long time and thinking what I would do if I ever had a chance and, and knowing I would, the people were important, right? It sounds cliche, but I uh, knew right off the bat that we had, uh, we had to have good people around us. Allison McCormick, our publicist, um, you know, Cass and uh, um, Steve Torrance's wife started a company up that does a lot of our social stuff. And and I wanted them to be a part of it and they wanted to be a part of it. So I knew that that was huge in today's world with social media and uh, a lot of out-of-the-box thinking like Allison does. Um, those were essential, but the key part was the people on the team. And Snake, Snake, one of his things he always said was, you can't win the Kentucky Derby riding a mule, so you had to have a good car. And that was the important part. So knowing that Guido, we got put together sort of accidental at Don Schumacher's, and we went on to win the championship our first year together. We knew each other back when we were both crew guys on cars. He worked at John Force's, so that that I knew. Once I had them to run the car, I knew I'd be fine, no matter what was around it. But the cool thing was having these other people want to get involved. And Antron Brown, you know, had just done the same thing about a year ahead of me, it was huge help, and I've talked about it a lot. So, yeah, just good people. John Force was calling me every week. Tim Wilkerson calling. These guys I raced against were calling and checking on me if I needed anything. You know, they knew it. They knew how tough it is to start your own team. And it was pretty cool for people I race for championships against to call and check on me a lot.
0: And uh, Final couple of questions. As I've been kind of more in tune with the sport, just it seems like a lot of drivers got there. Like you mentioned, it got their starts working on the cars before actually hopping in the cockpit. Just even today, how does that help you just racing every week?
1: Um, I think it's kind of it's been lost a lot on people either buying rides or coming into cars and bringing money to cars. that's always been a thing, right? Um, going to any car, NASCAR, especially NASCAR nowadays. So that's always been something, um, I've been proud of. I was always hired. I never brought a sponsor. Um, so I was always hired to drive whatever car I was picked to drive. Even Don Ohm's was, it was huge for him to pick me on just what he thought my talent was on and off the racetrack, but especially in the race car. Um, and then Don Schumacher hired me to represent a new sponsor that he had had. So that was another huge thing for me. Dell Worsham, somebody I really look up to as somebody that came up in the sport, working on him, um, very involved with the mechanical side, Larry Dixon, another guy that worked on him. So there's a lot of them. Some of those guys don't know which way the crankshaft turns. Some of those drivers, they just bring money or they come in and they get a ride. They're great drivers or they work hard. If they're not great, they work hard at being great. So, um, I just knew hard work and the fact that I'd driven, um, you know, and worked on it before I ever got in a cockpit was going to help my driving learning curve. So, uh, I think it's a lost art, I guess. And hopefully that comes back around as an owner. I'm always looking at these younger kids, um, coming up in the sportsman ranks and keeping an eye because there's people I'd love to hire. And then I think it's better if you go out and you look for the money to, because there's so many, There's probably, you know, 85% 85% of the kids that will never get a shot are younger people. They'll never get a shot at the top tier like we do because they don't have the budget or the money to bring. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's always been something I've thought about go out and find the funding and then hire these people we you think are more talented, perhaps, um, you know, and I think, I think what Tony Stewart and those guys did with Josh Berry uh, is kind of the same thing in NASCAR that we just saw. Um, Hired on his merit and his race car and his capabilities, so yeah, it's um, but our sport I think is the best at that. We got girls that are world champions that kick everybody's butt. um, You know, where you got other sports that say they have girls that win races once in a while. We've got them that win a lot of races, so we got a great sport, and I think um, I think it's going to get bigger and bigger because of that.
0: And other forms of motorsports, there's a a lot of ways to find an advantage just to get your car set up right, you know, in in these two to three hour type of races, just in drag racing, I've always wondered, just you only having a few seconds per run, and then it's back to the drawing board, you know, tear down the engine, all this other stuff, just where and how do you find an advantage over the competition and that little amount of time frame?
1: Um, Well, I've always told anybody wants my advice, they just have to ask, you know, and I'm not going to go throw my advice on any of these, these up and comers, but I always tell them anybody with any amount of courage or whatever you want to call it can step on the gas of these things and, and hold your foot down, right? That's not the key to being in the sport long, or it's not key to getting hired by somebody on what they say. It's knowing when to lift when something's wrong with these cars and knowing when something's not right. Those are those moments that, that definitely got me the next ride and put me where I was because I had owners that I saved equipment by, by that kind of feeling and sound and feel the car. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't, what's great about, you know, I always tell the, these kids and, and, you know, you got you look at sprint cars and midgets and you look at all the, these talented drivers and how many of those will never go to nascar that would probably be better than half the field you know that are driving a, a usac midget or a world outlaw sprint car for me i was just lucky um that i get to go off and do those other things and they always have helped me and i bragged about that when i am in the funny car and there's a pedal fest those moments i've had on dirt driving a sprint car or a world, or you know uh midget at the chili bowl or the srx car that i'm going to race this year those things that i go jump in that I jump in like the SRX car I got in for the first time testing them a month or so ago. And I was like, Oh my God, what did I get myself into? And now I'm going to be racing with Marco Andretti and Tony Stewart and Kyle Bush and guys like that. in something I am not comfortable in. Um, it's those moments that have made me better here in the funny car and certainly have won me races and maybe championships by that sort of feel I get in another car. So I always tell people, try to do as much as you can. I don't think, uh, you know, my teammate Chase Chase Elliott got hurt snowboarding, but I think that's what made him who he is. Same with Kyle Larson. So um, I think going out and doing other stuff like that definitely would make you a better race car driver.
0: Final question, though, you mentioned it with uh, you're going to be running the SRX race uh, in this summer just at Eldora. Um, Just what are your expectations with that? And kind of how did that come together to begin with?
1: You know, racing the prelude of the dream years ago when Tony Stewart had that race, that was something you, as a, any race car driver, to get invited to. I mean, going toe to toe with Stewart and um God, Jimmy Johnson, and you know, just it was it was so cool to be going into turn one of the biggest, fastest dirt tracks in the world in a car you're not comfortable with, side by side with the best in the world and other stuff was pretty crazy for a drag racer, right? Um they didn't like drag racers passing. I will tell you that. <laughs> None of them. I usually got a nudge in the next corner if I went past somebody because they're like, "What's a drag racer passing me on a dirt track?" Um, so I think that's kind of what people watch it. A lot of fans got turned on a drag racing from watching me with the NASCAR drivers and they're like, "What is this drag race stuff?" And would go and, you know, I've had a lot of people tell me that. Vice versa, I had a lot of drag racer fans follow me in that. So I think when that SRX got started it was a throwback to what I rock series was, which was the coolest thing, you know, for any motorsports fan anywhere to watch Alan, sir, you know, Earnhardt versus Foyt versus June, you know, you name them you to watch them all in the same cars at different tracks was the best. So that's why Tony and Everham, those guys came up with it and it's become pretty dang cool. And it's on network. And then this year it's on Thursday nights on ESPN. And, um, it's going to be crazy. I'm glad I'm going to Eldora where I've kind of been. Um, but the cars have got way more power than they look like they have. I can tell you that much. I went and tested with Kyle Busch and Kozlowski and Harvick. They were all this little, little track I showed up at. And my first laps in this thing were those guys watching. So you don't get intimidated any more than that. I was like, could you guys just leave for a while while I go do this? But um. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, man. It's going to be Paul Tracy. And, you know, you go down the list of people are going to be racing, and it's going to be pretty neat. Um, But the biggest part, the coolest thing, will be all the Drag Race fans tuned in on that Thursday night, leading into our Topeka, Kansas race. So I'll fly with smoke back to Kansas, you know, with him and Leah after the race. But uh, it's going to be one night I'll never forget. I, I know for sure, and hopefully it goes well.
0: Yeah, it's going to be exciting. And, um you know, hopefully... Paul Tracy doesn't get in your way at all. He's he's kind of crazy sometimes.
1: Waltrip, Tracy, just watching the first couple of years. I know all the fans watch, you know, that are on your show. They all watch it and it it was so much fun. Willie T. Ribs the first year. I mean, they should have handed out boxing gloves afterwards, but it's gotten cleaned up a little bit and uh, I I cannot wait, man. It's going to be epic.
0: It'll be a lot of fun and, uh, you know, hopefully uh, the rest of the season goes well for you, Ron. And, uh, you know, thank you for taking the time to join the show and, uh, No, I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah,
1: you got it. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you guys for tuning in to episode forty-four, "The Fire Within," with Ron Caps. It's always interesting to me how drivers go through adversity and power through. I mean, man, to finish second four times before finally becoming a champion is just crazy. And what's even more crazy is the fact that Caps won a title with one team, forms his own team with the new manufacturer in Toyota, and wins the title again. Just unbelievable stuff. Now I'll tell you what, it's going to be a boatload of fun watching Ron take on guys like Tony Stewart, Paul Tracy, and Tony Kanaan on dirt at Eldora. And he's already got one thing down for sure, and that's just to stay clear of Paul Tracy. I mean, sheesh, I mean, sheesh. That's just scary stuff. Anyway, uh, well, that's all the time we have for today. You can follow this podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Behind Catch. And make sure to hit that subscribe button on YouTube, listen on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and make sure to share it with your racing friends as well. Thank you guys for tuning in. I'm David Hoffman. See you guys next time.